0: On the violet tv podcast this week it's wall-to-wall illicit sex as we take a tour of samantha morton's 18th century bawdy house in harlots join juno temple for sky's erotic fiction adaptation little birds and mix extramarital sex with the supernatural in lisa mcgee and tobias beers the deceived and speaking of the deceived lisa herself is our guest this week and stops by to talk to terry about things that go bump and indeed bonk in the night I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has spent this week marching the picket lines over Daisy Edgar-Jones' egregious snub by this year's Emmy nominations. Joining me in righteous outrage are, of course, my two co-hosts. First up, a woman who is already too famous for this podcast having, and this is absolutely true, refused to meet me when I came into London this week because she was (laughs) swanning around with her new TV pals. It's Terry Judas White. How are you, Terry?
1: (laughs) I'm all right, James. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. had a nice time in London. It was great. Wandered around, saw the sights. It was great. Oh, you still oh, made me tod. a pancake. You still yeah. made
1: me a pancake.
0: That's right. I said, let's meet for crepes. You went, oh, sorry, sorry. I have a development meeting, darling. Darling, sorry. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: Uh, I mean, if I wasn't unbearable enough already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also with us this week is a man who has long been too famous for this show, but does it anyway, presumably as some kind of community service initiative. It is the one and only Boyd Hilton, how's things, Boyd? Hello, good. Did you actually go into the office? I did. I did. I went to our office. I cruised into Camden. I saw wow. the site. Was there anyone there? There was. Did yes, you? yes. Uh, I went into the post room and I had a chat with uh, with the facilities people. And Jay, the IT guy, was there as well. But I didn't bring my laptop, oh. so you can help me with that. Um, but yeah, there were only there were four people I think in the building, and not wow. including the security guard. Wow. Um,
2: yeah, it was. It was. Did you need to go in, or did you just go in because for, for weird reasons of I nostalgia had, I had or something? Post. <laughs> I went oh, to okay. pick up some posts. Here's a tip for you. Tell the <laughs> post to it. send it to you. <laughs> they send they send me a huge package every like every week, once a week with all the posts that get sent to the office. Oh do that. This is fascinating oh. for listeners. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't get that. There no. you go. Well yeah. no, that wasn't the main reason I went. I went into Because uh, 'cause I've not been into London properly, like since all this began. That and London. I just thought I'd go in and, and, and suck in the Londonness of it all. Um because <laughs> it had been a while. And yeah, it was lovely. I, I rather yeah. enjoyed it. You Good. Know? Good. Obviously, had to eat a crepe on my own, but you know what you can do. <laughs>
2: Um, Maybe you should. (laughs) You could in Camden. You could take your guitar and have a little strum, and you could be one of those buskers down
0: by the canal. Do a busk, James. I totally should
2: have done that. You'd make
0: loads. You think? No, I did. Yeah. I did get howled Ooh, nah, at by right. the uh, by the the guitarist busker who sits underneath the bridge, much like a troll by by the the pirate castle yeah. in Camden. Um, yeah. he, he yelled at me as I went past. But that's you know that's just Camden Camden yeah. ambience, isn't it? Yeah. Um, speaking of Camden ambience, or indeed not speaking of it at all, um, what have we all been watching this week? Tell me, people.
2: Apart from the fact that I don't know if I mentioned it before in this whole in this section of the podcast, but during lockdown I have been watching The Chase, the ITV quiz show, The Chase with religious fervour hosted by Bradley Walsh uh, and I have decided it's the greatest TV quiz show format in history it's so addictive it's so brilliant so that's just I'll just quickly mention that in passing because I'm okay. not sure yeah because I'm not sure if I mentioned it before but the really Is that the,
1: the, the really- new um, format Boyd? Have um, you been enjoying been
2: that? For, it's been going for quite a few years. Um, no, the
1: new the new version they've done in lockdown. Oh,
2: no, that's that was brilliant. Beat the chase, beat the chase, the beat which chase. was yeah, a couple, that was a few weeks ago. That was amazing as well. Yeah, which was a spin on it, yeah, where you had to try and beat them all, all the chases together in one go. Yeah, that was fantastic as well. I'm talking about the pure original yes. chase format itself, which is incredible. It's got everything you want from a quiz show. Um but more importantly, the sh- the I've watched one of my favourite documentaries of the year so far on Sky Arts, which is on part one, went out last Saturday, part two this Saturday, or will have just gone, but it'll be on um, Now TV and Sky On Demand. And it is Laurel Canyon. It's a two-part, three-hour documentary. Um, it's uh, directed by Alison Elwood. It's not to be confused with a really terrible Laurel Canyon documentary that came oh. out er- recently in the last few months, made by Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son. That like, I think went out as a streaming thing, like a streaming field. That was terrible because that was basically um, just a-, a-, a promo for his album of cover versions of, of songs. This is an absolutely comprehensive beautifully made look at the phenomenon of all the great musicians and artists who flocked to Laurel Canyon in the late 60s 70s Joni Mitchell Crosby Stills Nash and Young The Doors The Birds Don Henley uh, the Eagles etc these are my people this is my world these are my favourite uh, musicians and acts in history I am obs- I was obsessed with these people like Neil Young and Jenny Mitchell and the fact that they all lived in Laurel Canyon so much that when the first time I went to LA I went to Laurel Canyon and I walked to the entirety of Laurel Canyon and it's quite huh. long and I tried to like walk it, try and see all these houses and anyone if you've been to LA you'll know that there's hardly any sidewalks or pavements so you can't really walk around anyway but I did and I kind of nearly got arrested by security guards and stuff so I'm obsessed of canyon, the documentary is so brilliant because it kind of r- ranges wild and free it's very it kind of free flows over so it starts out vaguely chronologically but actually it goes down little alleyways and routes and it has incredible footage and just revelations like the fact that harrison ford built peter talk of the monkeys music room things like that just get mentioned in passing and it's mm. full of revelations and brilliant music it's incredible laurel canyon sky arts watch it Terry, what have you been watching?
1: I watched um, the final part of the Murdoch documentary series um, that we talked about last week and the week before, the, the rise of the Murdoch dynasty. B- B- Boyce, Bode, boys <laughs> Bode? Bode, Boyce, and I <laughs> both. Boyd and I have talked about this in um, in previous weeks. Um, it's this incredible three-part documentary documentary series. And actually, they call it The Rise of the Murdoch Dynasty, but that's not actually what it's about. Um, uh, it is about their kind of checkered recent history. And the third episode deals with kind of, I suppose, the rise again, potentially, of the Murdoch Dynasty in terms of um, their hand in Brexit, Their kind of changing of political allegiance um, back to the Tories. It's watched together. I wish, I kind of wished I'd watched the three of them back to back. It's a brilliantly researched, really thorough, in depth look. It's quite depressing about the (laughs) ways in which we've been manipulated as a great British public and the impact, really, I suppose, one man and his family can have over a country's media, a country's politics. Um, so if you haven't watched any of them, I'd actually recommend just nailing them all in one go. So that was brilliant. And then I also randomly, um, I wasn't feel very, feeling very well. I had tonsillitis this week and I needed something to comfort me. And I watched all of Educating Greater Manchester, which if everyone remembers, is the kind of fly on the wall documentary channel for a school. Educating Essex, we had um, Educating Great in Manchester with 2017. And you know exactly what you're getting with this stuff. It's always the same. You've got the troublesome kids, you've got the teachers who, you know, are just trying to give them the chance because they know otherwise if they leave school with no qualifications, they're going to repeat certain cycles. You learn about the kids' homes' lives, you're crying, you're laughing. There is nothing shocking, surprising, or particularly innovative these days about that stuff. But I watched um, all of that series and felt a little bit better about our world and our country than i probably did after finishing the murdoch
0: documentary Hmm. and then you went on twitter and it all went to shit again
1: (laughs) yeah and then no i was i i did the twitter 48 hour um boycott this week in solidarity with um the jewish community so i actually had a very twitter-like week which i have to say probably also helped um me feel a little bit better about the world and our country
2: it certainly it's does yeah I, did the, yeah I did that the Twitter thing yeah as a Jew I felt I should um, can I just say quickly as well Line of Duty because you Terry did her Line of Duty rewatch but anticipating the fact that we're all doing a line of duty rewatch because BBC One is showing series one um, from today Monday if you're listening to this when the podcast goes out Mondays and Tuesdays and I did actually rewatch series one I fitted that in because I had to write a thing about it um, for Heat and it, oh my god it is so fucking brilliant isn't it? it it was just that first series right from the start Yeah, it's incredibly densely textured complicated and yet riveting the storytelling inst- is instantly incredible in that show and I hadn't watched it for years so yeah that 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 rewatch is fascinating it's glorious because
1: yeah, you do always think right that maybe line of duty was something where it kind of evolved into that and really stretched for that over the yeah. series and i had the same experience which is you were like holy shit no this was like this from the beginning this was yeah, always yeah. this caliber and this excellent um and this interesting
0: yeah most definitely no, I it, it's it's on my rewatch list. I definitely want to watch it again. I love that show. I just love it a bit. Uh, what have I been watching this week? I have finished Absentia. I've watched all three seasons of Absentia now in the past two <laughs> weeks, uh, and I finished the last episode of season three last night. And it is glorious. It is so fucking ridiculous um, but in the best possible way in the same way the 24 where it's just the stuff that happens is just deliriously over the top and daft as all hell like it's like she's doing this she's investigating she's gone rogue she's punching a boss she's out on the streets she's now been kidnapped she's in another country she's escaped someone's nailing her hand to a table and then she turns into John Wick and does all this gun fu shit and you're like okay I didn't even know you could do that but sure carry on and it's just <laughs> amazing and she is brilliant in it and it just gets and just when you think it can't get any dafter it does But, but like, and I can't emphasize this enough like in a really good way and it's so watchable and um, a couple of times I found myself doing this and I said this last time where you know you're watching it it's like oh it's bedtime right turn it off I'll tell you what I'll just finish this one and because it ends on a cliffhanger I've got that thing where you're like okay I'll watch the first 10 minutes of the next episode just so I see how the cliffhanger resolves. Yeah, right. And then you find yourself doing it at the end of that episode as well. And before you know it, again, it's the middle of the night and you're like, I really need to go to bed. But uh, yes, Absentia on Amazon Prime is lots of fun. Uh, I highly recommend it. So that was my week. So, shall we now move on to a listener question? And this week's question comes from Robert Smythe, who asks, what is the best TV episode featuring an alternate timeline? I ask after just rewatching the Buffy episode Wish and the countless great ones in Star Trek. So, Terry, he has already named the Buffy episode Wish. So if you wish to talk about that, feel free to do that now.
1: Well, yeah, so I obviously had that on my list, you know, which was um, Cordelia's wish that what would happen if Buffy had never arrived at, at Sunnydale. And obviously the answer is, Everything would be fucked.
0: And um, this is this is Anya before she becomes a goodie, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yes. And you know, everything is exactly as it would be. And Xander kills Angel and um Buffy kills Xander, right? And but I mean it's just and you know, Willow's an undead um henchwoman of the <laughs> Doctor of the Doctor, the Master. Um It is everything you would expect Sunnydale to be without Buffy Summers, who came to save them all. Um, But there are so many brilliant TV episodes in this ilk. I love this question. So Charmed, okay, this this happened twice in Charmed. Um, So there was the episode at the... (laughs) <laughs> finale of season three, and the finale of season three was Shannon Doherty's um, last ever episode. We've talked before, well, I say we, I've talked before about how <laughs> she was written out of Charmed and, and decided to leave because of disagreements, um, uh, allegedly, with Alicia Milano. Now, so it's the finale of season three, and it's called All Hell Breaks Loose. And in this episode, the sisters are outed as witches on the cable news and spoilers, if you haven't watched this episode, that's about 7,000 years old. But um, basically, Piper is shot and killed in this episode. And uh, Prue, played by Shanna Doherty, does a deal, basically, where they turn back time so that they could save Piper. But there is evil at play, and when they turn back time, a... murdering demon comes in and attacks both (laughs) if you're still with me congratulations both Piper and Prue and the finale leaves with them both unconscious on the floor and then the opening of season 4 is when Phoebe, no not Phoebe Piper is alive Phoebe is alive but Prudence or Shannon Doherty is dead. And, you know, I've never been able to get my head around it. It's, well, you've been back in time once. Why can't you just keep going back in time until you sort it out? This is the problem with turning back time once, right? And then in the finale, the ultimate finale of um, Charmed is the one where um, Piper is the only one who survives and both Phoebe and Paige are killed in this big battle to end all battles. Again, they turn back time and fix it. Um, it is a bit of a convenient get out in some respects when it's about correcting this. But there is also the use of it, which is the Buffy use we've talked about, which is about showing an alternate reality if, if one thing in history had been done differently. So I was thinking about... Um, Or the fantasy one's like Friends, right? The one that could have been...
0: yes, that's really good. Yeah,
1: which is great, which is Rachel. um, So she kind of drifts off and essentially has this fantasy, (laughs) should we say, and it's she's married Barry and has driven into the city with her irritating girlfriends where she bumps into um, Monica, who is fat and is because she's married to Joey. And then Rachel fantasizes about Chandler, who's got a weird moustache, and he um, has kissed... Monica, who's got this doctor boyfriend who feeds her up but won't have sex with her. She gives Chandler her flower. You've got Ross is still with Carol, who hasn't come out as a lesbian, but is having an affair anyway. I mean, it's one of the great.
0: Isn't Phoebe like a stockbroker or something?
1: She's a um, a Wall Street woman. (laughs) I can't remember. She has a heart attack and she's smoking and she's like, bye, bye, seal, seal, like that. And she has a heart attack in in hospital. She starts working from her bed, goes back in the office and she's been fired and she has another heart attack. so I think that's one of the great ones. And then I wanted to mention Doctor Who, um, obviously, because where would we be without a mention of Doctor is this, Who? Is
0: this, is this Terry, Rise of the Cybermen slash The this Age is, of Steel?
1: This is Rise of the Cybermen, <laughs> which is um, the Doctor Rose and Mickey, played by Noel Clark find themselves in an alternate London. Um, Rose's dad is alive because famously he died um, uh, decades ago. And there was a plan to basically make all humans into Cybermen. Um, but you know, there's been a few elements of it in, in Doctor Who. We've talked about the old the parallel universes where um Rose and the Doctor are separated and they exist at the same time. So, you know, it's it's a rich place for it, is Doctor Who. I think those are my favourites. Oh, one more, the OC. So the Chris car. <laughs> so that is, again, it's a, a dream that Ryan and Taylor have, um, essentially how things would have been different if Ryan and Anna had ended up living with the Coopers. The one thing that always struck me about this episode is In this episode, Marissa is still dead because obviously Marissa was killed in a car accident with Ryan when... So this is season
0: three? Three. It's when Misha Parton's left and Taylor, who was a bit rubbish, kind of replaced her.
1: Yeah, it was like Ryan's geeky new girlfriend who you would never have gone near in a million years. Because they hated
0: her in season two. Yeah. Anyway. I mean,
1: that was a big mistake. That whole plot was a big mistake. But anyway, so they both fall asleep at the same time at Chrismica and have these dreams which you figure are intersecting and basically... He'd not been adopted by the Coopers. Um, and the big, the big surprise in all of this, you know, Seth and Summer weren't together, he was just still a loser, was um that Marissa had still died, even though she'd not met Ryan, because Ryan had blamed himself and said if she hadn't met me, she wouldn't have been in that car with me, my brother wouldn't have driven us off the road. Actually, she'd she'd have overdosed in Tijuana which was an incident that happened in season one. I like it when they intersect with real episodes. So in, episode, in season one, Ryan had saved her when she overdosed in Tijuana. But in this other r- reality, he wasn't there and she died. And what became clear is that Ryan meeting her had actually extended Marissa's life by a few years and that she was always destined as this troubled young girl to die.
0: Wow. Poor old Misha Barton.
1: <laughs> yeah. Those are my favourites.
2: Um, well, obviously, the final, the ending of the OA is the greatest, is the greatest thing ever, and the, the most audacious yes. and brilliant use of of a new. Timeline. Spoiler alert: um, that there's ever been in history, but very similar. Fun- I, I, I remembered, I you know, the show Supernatural. That of yeah. course, um, Helen O'Hara on the Empire podcast is is the biggest champion of. In fact, I've noticed recently the Supernatural in jokes have died down a little bit. It's, n- it's now just um- well, Supernatural's kind of finished, doesn't it now? Yeah, yeah. Although, I yeah, I guess why. So. maybe it's, it's faded from Helen's affections. Maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe or maybe it's just because there isn't time in between you saying "Is it though?" with Chris throughout the whole thing. <laughs> um, but I, I remember I watched Supernatural on and off. Like, I didn't watch. It religiously, but I do remember very clearly an episode, and I had to look it up called The French Mistake, where they're sent into an alternate universe where their lives are covered in a TV show called Supernatural. And so there's oh, a TV yes, show. Bing, this I know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it was brilliant. And it was and it showed it was, it was an incredibly fun, inventive show. And um and I think they kind of went back to it afterwards. But I remember watching that episode and thinking, this is fucking brilliant, this show. It's really bold and daring and inventive. Mm. And that was like that episode particularly, I thought was fantastic. And then I also want to mention one of the most demented things that's ever happened in television history, which was in Dallas, where I don't know if it quite fits <laughs> the idea, <audio>, but basically, <laughs> basically <laughs> It turned out that the entire season of Dallas didn't happen. And uh, so Bobby um, was written out of Dallas for various reasons. He wanted to leave. He was bored with the character. Um, and so Patrick Duffy. So they killed him off In a, in and in, in, in he was run over and he was definitely, definitely dead. And there was a whole series where he wasn't in it because he was dead. And then they decided to bring him back at the end of that series in 1986. And in the finale, he arrives. He's in the shower and um, his wife, uh, played by Pamela, sees him in the shower and she's like, oh, but you're dead and then it turned out we had to wait months for the premiere of the next season and the explanation was that she had dreamt the whole (laughs) fucking season 30 hours there used to be 30 episodes a year of Dallas 30 fucking hours was absolutely dismissed as being a dream by the fucking producers and showrunners and everything and people were outraged and furious quite rightly I mean it I think it's one of the most ridiculous things that's ever happened in television. So, yeah, I'm putting and that. And all because Patrick Duffy had a change of yeah. heart and was like, "I want my job back." Yeah, exactly. Well, also because he, did, I think he thought he was going to become a huge film star, and he did not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: He's no, like he those guys not. who leave Hollyoaks and say, "I'm going to Los yeah. Angeles and I'm going to become a movie oh, star," steady. and then they come, but then they go back to Hollyoaks after after Hello. two years.
2: Uh, it worked for Ricky, yeah. Ricky Whittle.
1: Yeah. Yeah it did. Emmett
2: Scanlon, Emmett Scanlon used to be in Hollyoaks, who we'll be talking about shortly. Let's just say that. (laughs) Anyway, yes. What about you? He's
1: not in the new Avengers, is he? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, it's
1: not. A New Avengers. The New Avengers.
2: Uh,
0: many, many things of this obviously fall into my particular genre. I would say there's a couple of series that kind of delve into this area. So Awake, which I've mentioned on this podcast before with Jason Isaacs, where he exists in tall, two alternate mm. timelines simultaneously. Oh, yes. One in which his wife died in a car crash and one in which his wife survived but his uh, son died in the car crash. And he keeps flipping between these two realities. It was really fun. it only ran for one season, got cancelled. Um, Fringe, in the finale, phen- of season one of Fringe, you are introduced to Leonard Nimoy's character who exists in an alternate version of America. And they play with this alternate timeline thing all the way through it until you get to season four where tons of it ends up in this alternate one. And there's a bit where it alternates between realities. And the prime reality has blue title sequence. And you get like a red title sequence for the alternate reality episodes. And uh, they have faux Livia and walternate. And those are two of the greatest puns in the history of television. So I enjoy that an <laughs> awful lot. Um, do you remember the, the back reality episode of Red Dwarf? where they all wake up and it's, they've Damn. been in a simulation the despair squid a despair squid has caused them to and they wake up and they're like and it's the one where he's Dwayne Dibley and uh, and Crichton is Jake Bullet, the traffic cop you don't remember any of this do you? Anyway, that was regular, really good. Enjoyed we? That what are you a lot. talking about? I
1: know. I don't know who he's talking to, <laughs> but it's definitely you're not me. To?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um okay, fine. So that was good. But I mean for, for, for alternate realities, Star Trek is is my go-to for this because they do it really, really well. So in the i think it's season two episode of the original series Mirror Mirror, which we're first introduced to the Mirror Universe, which is this sort of weird, sort of fascistic uh, white supremacist version of our universe where um where it's sort of like the Terran Empire rule. Uh, and it went through, uh, went through the original series, I had a couple in there, and then you, it, there aren't any in the Next Generation, and there aren't any in Voyager either, for that matter, but there are a few in Deep Space Nine. They do a number of crossovers to Mirror Universe, and actually they do it really well, and it fits the Deep Space Nine tone. Uh, I think Crossover from Season 2 as well, and this one in Season 3, uh, Resurrection, and then The Emperor's New Cloak, which is a Season 7 one. I think of all the Mirror Universe ones, I've had to pick one, I think maybe crossover for Deep Space Nine is possibly the best, which is where Kira and Bashir go to the parallel universe and it all goes tits up from there and you get this this sort of in the minds, violent Odo sort of screaming at people. But um, it, it was a recurring theme and I think why I like the Mirror Universe stuff is they didn't the original series they returned to at Deep Space Nine it turns up in Enterprise as well, uh, in a mirror darkly. And then finally, they're kind of the, it's all like this was all built up to Discovery. Because you remember in Discovery in season one, where you find out, spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen season one of Discovery, that Jason Isaac's character, Captain Lorca, is actually a Mirror Universe character all along. He's from the Mirror Universe, and so the discovery goes to the Mirror Universe. And that whole stretch in season one, I think from episode 10 to 13, which takes place in the Mirror Universe before they come back, that is the best I think Star Trek has ever been uh, for Mirror Universe stuff. I think that was absolute genius. And the fact that they then bring Michelle Yeoh's character from the Mirror Universe back again is is awesome. So yeah, that would be, that would be my pick on this particular one. You would be unsurprised to hear starter rules <laughs> thank you. Right. Uh, thank you, Robert. I hope that has answered your question. I should point out, Robert also works for Co-op. He wanted us to mention the chain's drive to reduce child poverty this summer. They've been running a food bank campaign, which is you might have seen it has been publicised by Michael Sheen, uh, where customers drop off food items at their local stores, which is then collected by local food banks and turned into meals for children who would normally be enjoying free school meals. It's, uh, it's a very worthy cause. If you can contribute, then please do so. And you can find out more about that scheme at www.centralengland.coop. Right, time now for this week's guest, specifically Derry Girls creator Lisa McGee, whose latest creation lands on our screens this week, and if it doesn't initially seem to be the side-splitting lolfest fest that Derry Girls is, that's because <laughs> The Deceived is instead a psychological thriller about a young woman who follows the lecturer she's having an affair with back to Donegal in Northern Ireland, only to end up trapped in a house where all is not quite as it seems. Lisa spoke to Terry about it, and this is what went down.
1: Hello, I am joined today by Lisa McGee, who is here to talk about her new show, The Deceived. Lisa, hello, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having
3: me. Okay, Can you just tell us a little bit about The Deceived? So, it's a thriller um, set. It, be, it begins in Cambridge, um, and a young Cambridge student starts having an affair with her married Irish lecturer. Um, she ends up following him back to Ireland, and his wife dies in mysterious circumstances. And then there's all sorts of twists and turns and questions mm-hmm. asked, and everything's not quite as it seems. So, it's kind of a psychological thriller ghost story type affair
1: <laughs> yes and there is I mean I think it's fair to say there's a rich probably like literary history right in psychological thrillers about women often written um by women um so Rebecca for example definitely yes. TV definitely feels like it's having its own moment in that sense Um yeah. obviously sophie Petzl's blood um was also on channel five there was cold call do you feel like there is that moment happening in tv and is, is a psychological thriller something you've always loved whether in books or
3: in telly or film i love them and um my my husband who wrote the show with me as well as as a big fan of the, we loved like Rebecca's a huge influence on this and it's my favourite book and we love the the Hitchcock version of it and, and that's kind of where this came from. We watched so many of those old movies and we wanted to try and do something that had that classic feel maybe with a, a little bit of a twist um, and also you had to try something about longer form. So this is over four hours, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I think there's something fascinating for female writers particularly, I think about those, uh, about darkness. And, um, I, I, I think some of the best, um, certainly like mystery novels and all that, or like where, where, uh, female writers are exploring their own worst fears nearly, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so it was just a chance to sort of try and do our version of, of one of those classics.
1: Mm. and it's clear from episode one which I've watched that it's um you know is about kind of potentially psychological disintegration maybe but also manipulation of yeah. a woman and obviously that's not a new thing as you're as you're talking about but as we know um you know from modern conversations there's now names for these things you know gaslighting coercive control yeah. do you think that gives it, it makes it a little bit more relevant or resonant
3: today I mean, uh Maybe, hopefully. I think it's something, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, not just women, understand on some level that they feel there's someone doing something manipulative or there's something wrong about a situation, but they can't quite um, put their finger on what or explain it and they they maybe blame themselves for it. And um, So I think that's certainly, uh, because we know a bit more about it now, that's certainly something that everyone's aware of. Um and obviously the film Gaslight as well, which is where that, that uh expression mm. comes from as an influence on all these uh stories that we're starting to, to see about this as well. Yeah. Mm. And I also read,
1: and I it's, please tell me that this is true, that you were obsessed with Jessica Fletcher when I'm you obsessed, were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <Are> you still, <laughs> still obsessed, obsessed with Jessica Fletcher?
3: <laughs> yeah, I I sort of discovered murder she wrote when I was about nine. And um was upset like just really wanted to be jessica fletcher still kind of do you know but that was my i think it's partly why i became a writer actually <laughs> because she was a muster writer but um yeah it's i, I i've uh, a lot of fondness for that for that show and and um angela lansbury and all that you know she's a big part of my childhood and yeah still slightly obsessed with it <laughs> and um as we kind of mentioned channel five have, have done a couple of these um
1: with brilliant writers and we mentioned sophie petzel um with blood and obviously yourself and your husband um do they how much freedom do they give you in con- creative control as writers because i think there's a really interesting conversation going on at the moment after michaela cole and My i may destroy yeah. you
3: yeah um what a show that is Um uh, mm. but yeah so I I don't know um about Sophia Loveblood as well um she's a an amazing writer but certainly we were given a lot of creative control with uh Channel 5 They've, they seem to just decide that they like the idea and let you get on with it really which is um exactly how I like working you know I I I like being trusted and um that freedom's sort of priceless you know I I I love it and you you can see like when it's with like um, something like I may destroy you and that's really pushed and she's you know got complete control there she's on it she's I think she co-directed it or whatever it's it it like that's that for me that show I, I um feel like it's kind of changed me about that show it was so powerful and affecting and um yeah it's definitely uh, it makes a huge difference when the when the creator feels empowered like that Mm. and when you say you feel like it's changed you do you mean as a woman as a viewer or as a creative Or both? definitely definitely as a creative but i think even if you weren't a writer watching that you would think about it's her empathy and the way she explores um those very traumatic things and questions and pushes. And um, it was constantly surprising me and making me think about things that were quite uncomfortable. Um, So I think any viewer, you know, whether you're a TV writer or not would come away with a a different view on, on the world after watching that show, which is a phenomenal thing. Mm. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah so I'm very I'm very that that's that's been the last thing I watched that I just can't stop talking about or, or thinking about.
1: <laughs> no and I think I think when you have somebody so visibly as you say take total control and be very open and transparent about that you've got to think that's going to keep having positive
3: benefits for the industry as well right going forward. I hope so. I, I, yeah that's that's what I'm thinking I hope people now have more trust because it works. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I really I really hope that's the case. Um, I think she's ho- hopefully paved paved a bit of a, a way for the, for the rest of us there. Yeah.
1: Now, back to The Deceived, which has got an amazing cast, um the likes of Emmett J Scanlon and you know, one man in particular who I presume you didn't all <laughs> see his global megastardom before this, but Paul Mescal and his chain, who are now, yeah. you know, two of the most yeah. famous men and chains um, um- in
3: the world. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have the chain. That was we. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't. That didn't come with him. But um, yeah, he's brilliant. And no, he. He just. He just finished normal people when he came to do the Deceived. So obviously he wasn't the world superstar as now. But I think there was just a feeling he was special anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, he's an incredible actor. We were so lucky. But that's our um, our casting director Louise Keeley is amazing and and just sort of saw an opportunity. And, uh, yeah, so thank goodness because he, he's he, – and I think he's really great on it as well. You know, yeah. um, it's a bit of a different part, but, but yeah. Uh, he's, he's such he- a fantastic actor. And Emmett as well we've wanted to work with for – I've wanted to work with Emmet for years. Um, so to get him as the lead, too, was really exciting for us. Mm. Now, um, we
1: must talk about Derry Girls because I saw on Twitter that you said you were – writing it because I think everybody was bugging you, saying what's happening, what's happening, which I'm sure you get about five thousand times
3: a day, roughly. (laughs) So are you still writing it? Are you still writing away? We're just I'm writing, but we're we're just um trying to figure out when we can get back to shooting it. It's and it's it's really tricky. I was saying to someone the other day, Derry Gear's premise seems to be loads of people in small spaces. <laughs> so <laughs> under the COVID nineteen restrictions, it's uh, it's quite tricky. But we're we've got an amazing team and we're figuring it out. And we'll as soon as we can get back safely, we'll be back shooting the third series. And I'm really excited about it. I think the I think the scripts this year are the best scripts we've had, you know. Um and it, I think because I just know the character the actors so well and um the characters so well now and yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. really excited about getting getting to do it and getting to do it. You know, properly. Mm. Um, because it'll have been a while. Uh, and mm. we're on screen again.
1: And there has been a lot of speculation, and I'm obviously not in, expecting you to tell us. But do you know in your head how it's how it's going to end?
3: Yeah, I've always sort of had a big political point I wanted to get to, uh, um, and so that. That's always been there. They all are stories. The the the, the more character led stuff, the the sort of scrapes they get under. Mm. Um, I just have. I'm still coming up with different bits and pieces for those. But definitely the big story. I know. You know what what point I want to I want to leave them.
1: And will you be? I mean, you must be already. Just at the thought of saying goodbye to those characters
3: feel sad. Like you'll be bereft, won't you? It'll like the rest really- of us it'll be heartbreaking because it's been such a huge part of my life and um yeah and it's so personal it's so personal there'll never be a show for me like Derry gears this will never happen to me again you know to be if we even you know shoot some of it in Derry, um and it means a lot to the, my hometown as well um mm. so it's it will be it'll be but i think i'll be happy um that's why I want the third the third series and anything we do to be good because, you know, I'll, I'll be happy then that we've done it the way we wanted to do it, you know. Mm. And are you ever still taken aback by the success of it because it's just
1: become this phenomenon and it's now, you know, even though they may have to watch subtitles in America, it's now <laughs> a
3: global phenomenon as well. That We certainly weren't expecting any of that. Um, I wasn't even – I thought it would be so small even in the UK, you know. Um, I think we all thought in Ireland it might do well, but it's been it's been lovely, and um, it's yeah. I, I think it's so funny for me hearing things from people in Mexico and India, yeah, and that that and the thing that seems to really connect with everyone is that mums are insane. Everyone has <laughs> a mom that drives them mad, you know, and uh, th- that that that's always what people say. You know, that's just my mom. Yeah. <laughs> so, we all have that in common, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: there. there is obviously, a, you know, universality to it. But how important is Ireland in in your work?
3: Um, now, when I started writing TV, I wouldn't write about. I've always wanted to write about Ireland, um, but it wasn't sort of an option ten years ago. I, I wrote a lot of English characters, wrote for English shows, and now mm. it's very, very important to me to um, tell Irish stories. I, I, I think there's something I, I love watching uh, specific words myself, even if I don't, if I'm not from that background or don't understand it, I love learning about it. And um, yeah, that's, that's definitely, I think it makes my work about richer because it's personal. So I think it's good for me and good for the audience. Um, Cause it's, it, because I care a bit more when it's an Irish story, if you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think now it's, 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 it's very important to me. Mm.
1: And finally, um, what about Dairy Girls the movie?
3: <laughs> well, we're um, we've been talking about it. It would be something that would need to happen once I've got series three out of the way. I have zero ideas <laughs> for it, so I need to sit down and have a good think about what what to do. But it's definitely something I think we'd all be very interested in doing. We're all excited by the idea of it. The girls want me. Are always like. They, sh- they should go to America. They should go to Spain. I bet they, they are. To <laughs> Okay. They might go to Boncrana, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so,
1: well, we all have our fingers crossed, and I'm sure lots of people out there
3: have lots of ideas
1: for Dairy <laughs> uh, Girls movies. Yeah. Well,
3: thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Cheers.
0: That was Lisa McGee, and time now for this week's news. And we should probably begin with the... Travesty of justice that is the Emmy nominations,
2: (laughs) Boyd. Yes, well, you say that, but I mean, there's always, I know, you, I know you You started off by talking about egregious, what was it, egregious snub, which, yes. um, those words, by the way, both egregious and snub, and especially together, are only ever used about award nominations, aren't <laughs> yes. they? Um, nothing else in real life. And I mean, all these things are accidentally, you know, I always remind people when people talk about awards, that it's not like, you know, people sitting in a room, and there was no people sitting in a room deciding not to give a nomination, so to you so-and-so, say. your favourite actor or actress or show. It's always, voted for by thousands of people you know in a secret ballot so you know it, it's some but some things did get snubbed i was furious that i was amazed and furious that afterlife Ricky of show didn't get nominated um devs i thought was terrible they didn't get nominated but on the plus side watchmen was the most nominated show yeah, and i think that was brilliant because
0: nominations
2: yeah and i think that is fantastic because it could easily have You know, it could easily have not got that kind of recognition because it's Mm. it's quite a bold, challenging, you know, sometimes difficult show. And I I thought it was absolutely fucking brilliant. So I thought it was great that that got so many nominations. Things like... I was really pleased that things like Shits Creek got loads of nominations, which has gone from being... You know, like a show that I don't think anyone really took seriously, partly because of its title, to be honest, when it first came out. And then six seasons later, the last season was just brilliant this year. It's all on Netflix. It's a really beautiful, brilliant comedy. Really funny, but really sweet and charming as well. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I think, was the most nominated comedy. 20 nominations that got, which Mm. shows how critically, I mean, I think we liked it. Mazel, didn't we? Here, we reviewed it. I like it, didn't I've love never it. Been, I yeah, I've yeah, never pressed on it. With I've it. never been that obsessed with it, I have to say. So maybe I need to try and watch it again other really but paul mescal getting nominated for, mm, for, yes. for normal people yes. was brilliant um you know so exciting for him and i thought it was brilliant that brad pitt got nominated for playing dr anthony fauci <laughs> on saturday night live <laughs> that, that might be my favorite single nomination of the whole thing because basically it's about 20 50, 10 minutes of tv time and he got an Emmy yeah. nomination for it and the mandalorian got some love as well which surprised yeah. me, actually, given the genre of
0: that yeah. one. I mean, to be fair, I was a little surprised by Watchmen for that same reason, but Watchmen, you know, was critically acclaimed for all manner of reasons. Mandalorian feels quite uh, sci-fi, genre and mainstream, but nevertheless, got some love there.
1: I think um, I think Reese Witherspoon was, was a bit of an oversight because obviously mm-hmm. the shows she's been involved in um, were all kind of nominated. So Morning Show, Little Fires Everywhere, Big Little Lies, and... Um, uh, and she didn't I think she had no none across the entire piece. But then, you know, Kerry Washington was nominated, which I think is incredibly well deserved. Um, and she's, you know, she obviously does both parts. She's a performer and she's a producer. And she's, I think, does an amazing job of Giving other women a platform and using the power she has as a producer um to tell female stories um she's great at getting female writers out there but i i I felt for her that she kind of didn't get personally mm. um any recognition, but I have to say across the piece, whether we're talking about um gender or race or or sexuality, I think there was a feeling a sense that that it was a definitely a really rich. Diverse mm. um, set of nominees this year. Mm. When you look at some of the other award ceremonies and some of the absolute travesties we've had of, of you know, all white categories or or male categories, I think it. You look at the. Um, incredible breadth and depth and scope of television it felt with with some snubs accepted it felt like it was representative of the telly we
0: watch mm. and we love it was good to see Giancarlo Esposito getting nominated for Better Call Saul even if uh, Bob Odenkirk and Rhea Seahorn were ignored yeah like Jennifer Aniston as well for The Morning Show very pleased to see her up there as well yeah. it's been a long First, time a long time
1: 16 years
0: yeah 16 yeah, years
1: well weren't you surprised even though you know we've talked about The Mandalorian to have it in the running for best drama series mm. that's that really surprised me just because i think your tv drama when you think of that category is the strongest it's arguably ever been in history and you know the mandalorian was a little bit mixed and i can see for effects and things like that but you know for drama that's a mm. that's a, a big win for them it's a very big mm. win
2: for them I think it, the Mandalorian thing shows that th- like pop cultural moments can really influence these things. Like that, that, mm. that oh, seriously, how famous Baby Yoda became as a thing. Huh. Like even you know the wizened old d- d- duffers who vote for these yeah. things would have noticed that. And I think that kind of thing does have an influence. I really do. But th- th- they also broadened it out to have eight. There are eight nominations per category in the main one. So you know, best outstanding drama series that the Mandalorians in they did that as expanded from previous six so you know i mean yeah, that's partly i think why i've got but the, you know beticle soul handmaid's tale killing eve killing eve still getting in is interesting i think mm, you know considering yeah. it, as we, i think we've all agreed that quality wise i feel it has had a downturn ozark stranger things still getting nominated and succession it is it's an interesting mix i have to say
0: yeah and as you say it was very good to see paul mescal getting nominated there um I, while i would have liked to have seen them both uh i'll, I'll yeah, take one over. Of course non. yeah definitely
2: and unorthodox getting loads of nominations we love that I love that because that could have been overlooked you know uh, uh, an Israeli subtitled largely subtitled show Tiger Um, King got six as well yeah yeah Um, yeah it's pretty good okay
0: uh what else has been happening in the news uh well of course the most exciting thing that happened this week is that netflix have ordered a witcher prequel series yes very very excited about this the witcher blood origin is a six-part series which will tell the history of the very first witcher and and i know terry you in particular have been very very excited to hear more about the conjunction of the spheres so this will be focusing on that particular event uh which is uh (laughs) In Witcher, in Witcher law, the reason why they are all magical beasts in the world is because two. See, this this comes to our listener question. Two sort of different planes of existent realities, sort of aligned or crashed together in the conjunction of the spheres, and lots of things from the other reality, the monsters and stuff, were left on the prime reality, and that's why there are monsters there. You are. Yeah. So that's very <laughs> um, exciting. Very excited to hear more about well, that.
1: There's so there's a second season being commissioned of Witcher. Yes. And then this is a prequel. So how will it? They can't air them both at the same time, right? They'll presumably have to show the second series and then...
0: Terry, I am wholly in favour of a Witcher channel being started. So <laughs> oh God, all of I these things can are. stream at once. Yeah, I <sighs> bet
2: you are, yeah. <gasps> oh, I will Christ. toss a coin to all of these shows.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Netflix unveiled um, a tra- a little tra- teaser trailer and images of Ratchet, the Nurse Ratched series that's coming up from um, Ryan Murphy. Now I've, I've had issues with Ryan Murphy's recent output, I have to say, I think like, I didn't particularly like Hollywood um, and the last series of The Politician I thought was pretty poor, but this, I am really excited about this. The idea, just the whole idea of it, Sarah Paulson playing Nurse Ratched, who, the character from One of the Cougar's Nest as an origin story and the cast, Sarah Paulson, Cynthia Nixon, Sharon Stone, and Sophie Okonedo all in major parts in one series about this thing is exciting, I think, and I thought the trailer. I thought it looked really interesting from the trailer, and it arrives on the fourteenth of September. Okay. Oh, did either of you watch the Utopia
0: trailer? Yes. Oh no. No. Yeah. I so that ad where well, they had Comic Con at home last weekend, and uh, so a lot of yeah. stuff came out of that. But this this is sort of the Gillian Flynn uh, adaptation of of the um, the Dennis Kelly show, and it's yeah, it's got lots of very big names in it, and it feels very shiny. But something didn't sit right with me. Like, there's something about the original, like, it's so quirky and hyper-saturated and slightly surreal. And, again, you cannot tell from a trailer, but I felt like some of that wasn't there. I don't know. What do you think, Boyd?
2: I, I thought, I, I actually disagree. I thought, first of all, I think she calls, it's pronounced Gillian Flynn, by the way. Oh, is it? Intriguingly. Yeah, I believe so. Um, Sorry, Gillian. <laughs> um yeah, I think, look, I, I, I liked it. I think the reason I liked it is almost exact opposite of for you is that I think if they tried to stick with that, because, yeah, the original had this incredibly bold visual style um, that was sustained. And was and, and and like well. Like, Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and it was the editing and the pace of it, whereas this looked completely different. It still looked very incredibly cinematic. I think, and beautiful, but different. And I think that's really important. I think if it tried to ape that style of the of the original, then you'd be like, oh, what's the point? Whereas I think this, looking different and feeling different, makes me even more interested to watch it. This is a huge name drop I'm about to do, but I'm going to go for it anyway. David <laughs> Fincher told me, because David Fincher was attached at one point- yes, he was. To direct and exec produce this with Gillian Flynn, and he dropped out for various reasons. But he told me when in, in the early stages of it that her scripts for this- were the best he'd ever read for anything, film, TV, anything. And what she'd done with the original, because they both loved the original, but he said she had absolutely turned it into something different. And the way she'd done that was phenomenal. So that I've been excited about it since okay. then, which was about five years ago
0: that's interesting actually and maybe you're right i think i'm coming at this from a slightly different place in that i love the original so much and i was gutted there wasn't more of it so i guess there's a part of me that just wants more of that and i can't have it and that makes me sad yeah. but you're right it probably does make a lot of sense to do something because i it'd just be a very hard thing to replicate a very hard thing to replicate Certainly to do yeah. well i've certainly haven't written it off i think uh, i'm excited to see what this becomes and that that's that's that fincher recommendation sits well with me that's
2: uh Yeah, there you go. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Do you know when this when this actually is scheduled to land? All this, all I know is autumn. I think they haven't specified Mm. beyond that. Yeah, yeah. But soon. I mean, yeah. I shall await
0: that with bated breath.
2: Well, I, I will say Robert Kirkman, obviously the
0: the creator of the Walking Dead graphic novels and who worked on the series, has added half the cast of The Walking Dead to uh to the uh the series that he's doing now, uh Invincible. So uh he's got uh Michael Cudlitz, Lauren Cohen, Ross Mark and Lenny James, Senequa Martin Green, and Chad Coleman have all signed on to that one as well. Um so I'm very excited to see what he did next. I have have long said Outcast, which was the graphic novel i think he did after the walking dead and it was a show with patrick fugit uh and brent spiner i thought that was great and that got stealth cancelled in that it just evaporated off the screens which is a real shame because i thought that was brilliant so yes I'm, I'm looking forward to this one a lot and the more walking dead alumni they put in it the better as far as i'm concerned mm.
2: have you in sharp contrast did you hear about this um bbc drama um the pursuit of love no. which Emily Mortimer's doing. Oh, this is really interesting. Emily Mortimer is writing and directing a BBC One adaptation of the Nancy Mitford novel, The Pursuit of Love, which is about a romantic comedy drama set in Europe between the two world wars. So she's creating the whole thing, show running it effectively. Mm. And the cast is brilliant. Lily James, Emily Beecham um, from Little Joe, who's brilliant in that. Andrew Scott, Dominic West and Dolly Wells. So that no. is a good lineup, I'm saying, yeah. And I'm really interested. I think it's brilliant that, that Emily, Emily Mortimer's doing the whole fucking thing. Mm, It's great. Have either of you did either of you see the Elizabeth Moss thing? So she's doing. Uh, I've got the book
0: actually, Sh- the uh, Shining Girls by Lauren Buke's. I've never read it, but it's uh, it's Depression Era Chicago, and this guy finds a key to a house that opens to various points in time. But in order to time travel, he must kill young women who have lots of potential. These sort of so called Shining Girls. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but subtle. Yeah, indeed. But uh, Elizabeth <laughs> Moss. I mean,
1: what could that possibly
0: stand for? <laughs> oh, your patriarchy alarm just went off there. But Elizabeth Moss is uh, is going to be starring in this. She's going to uh, she's she's got the lead in that one. So we shall see. I don't know. It sounds interesting or not. as I guess be.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> Anything else?
0: No. Terry, no. not enthralled by news this week. Not enthralled by news. <laughs> we of course have the <laughs> Baftas <laughs> imminently, but we have yeah. not. We have not seen those at the yeah. time of recording. Point.
1: Boyd, isn't there anything you can give us that'll be embargoed till Monday? Yeah,
2: Boyd, Boyd. What What do you know? No, they don't. They don't reveal anything until. Um, no, you're gonna have to watch it at seven o'clock tonight. It's as live, and um, yeah, they won't reveal anything until then. Oh. So we, we could. What we really should do, if we had our wits about us, is come back and do a special feature on what we thought of the winners, maybe tomorrow or something. But anyway, to find out what <laughs> egregious yeah, but- snubs they've been responsible yeah. for. Egregious <laughs> snubs, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> There will be surprises, I bet, because, because the BAFTAs are voted for by juries of like 10, 11, 12 people. And th- weird things mm. can happen. Like Fleabag Series 1 did not win a BAFTA, I remind you.
0: Final bit of news. And of course, oh, yeah. arguably the most important bit of news. Star Trek Discovery Season 3 premiere date is October the 15th.
2: Yes. <laughs> Which one's that? That's the one on Netflix, is it? Which one's that? Which one's that, Boyd? There's so many Star Trek things, aren't there? It's confusing. Not enough, Boyd. Not enough.
0: Okay, okay, that's it for news, it seems, so let us jump in to this week's reviews, which begin this week with The Deceived, which, as you've already heard, sees English student Ophelia, played by Emily Reed, see her affair with lecturer and lecturer, Emmett J. Scanlon, take an unexpected turn when his wife dies, she ends up living in the ruins of their marital home in Donegal, and spirits abound. Or do they? Boyd, what's the verdict?
2: The verdict is, well, I, 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 this is the kind of stuff, I do love this kind of stuff generally. So um, uh, Lisa McGee talked about how, you know, influences of Hitchcock films, Rebecca particularly. The, the, the Rebecca hovers very strongly over this show, the Daphne DiMario story, the Hitchcock film particularly. Um, you know, the idea of a young woman arriving in a relationship with an older man whose previous wife has just died fairly recently, and they're literally to the point where there's a scene where the young woman wears her clothes, which is definitely Rebecca, a ha- thing that happens in Rebecca, this gloomy, massive mansion, this house. There's a little bit of the haunting of Hill House as well in it, the ha- the story of the haunting that um, as well, kind of this huge big house with literally creaking doors and locked rooms with huh. weird th- noises going on behind the locked doors of locked rooms. Um, is it haunting? Is it supernatural or not? I really like... You know, this is all catnip for me. I really like Hitchcockian psychological thrillers, which may or may not be supernatural. And part <laughs> of the whole point of it is you don't know and it's keeping you guessing. To the point in this where I thought it was almost quite funny in, I think, maybe episode two, where the reveal of the knocking of the behind the door, the reveal of what well, actually that is, no no spoiler, is I, I thought it was funny. It almost ha- it kind of stretching your credulity to the point where they know what they're doing. You know, Lisa McGee and her husband, Tobias Beer, who wrote it. They know they're playing with these things. Things, these these ideas, and they know it is borderline preposterous a lot of the time. But I think that's fine because that's that is part of this whole genre, if you like, of you know psychological thrillers played out. With lots of you know pe- people getting are they or aren't they mad is there or isn't there gaslighting mm. I love all of this and I thought this was I thought the atmosphere of it was very well sustained I thought that um, Emily Reed was brilliant is this kind again this woman who you're not sure is she maybe is she maybe losing it a bit or isn't she or is it just the situation she's being put in is she being uh, essentially controlled by this dude played by Emmett who's also great as well um, I thought all the performances were good I thought there were surprising moments um, in it that I wasn't expecting and I really enjoyed it so yeah I, you know in, in the vein of channel five is really creating this kind of these tv drama events which are almost always psychological thrillers like this like we talked about blood series one and two which we, I think we, which we loved it's definitely in that vein of a tv drama event showing over consecutive nights four or five episodes and this is a and is a really good example of it I, I really like it I hope they do more and I hope that um Lisa McGee and Tobias Beer create more of them as well Terry
1: so I think Boyd's right. And I think this is having a bit of a moment in telly. So there's a a really rich literary history of um, psychological thrillers about women, often by women. um, And it is that sense of... um, playing with a woman's interior life and how that externally manifests itself. Is it something that she's imagining? Is it something that's happening? But it feels like it's got a really modern twist because we live in an era in which we talk about coercive control and and in which we talk about gaslighting. So while the themes aren't new, I think the way we talk about them now is, and Channel 5 have really leaned into this, as Boyd says, with blood, which I think we all have spoken about how exceptional this is. Cold Call, um, the Sally Lindsay show, which I think, you know, was solid but was maybe less successful. This, for me, kind of falls somewhere in, in the middle. Um, and I think that it's um, really well written, um, that two-person team that Boyd talked about. Emmett J. Scanlon is, I think, perfect for this role. He has a real kind of charm with the edge of manipulation about him. And... Um, and you know, Paul Mescal is weird because you think you imagine like casting Paul Mescal in something like this having no idea what was going to happen and what you were going to have on your hands. Um,
0: It it filmed after Normal People but before it aired. But before Mm. it
1: aired, yeah. And I think the tone is really really well executed so there are these you know the gothic influences Mm. which all of these psychological thrillers lean into. There are touches of that especially these scenes in this house and Emily Reed I think is really great. She's got that kind of wide eyed innocence um, but you know she's she's smart and she's bright and she's intelligent but there's something vulnerable about her that you really believe so I really enjoyed this I only watched the first episode um, and it kind of had me gripped ready to watch the second I'll be interested to watch the entire thing because I think you know as I say Blood I think really and I'm not comparing them because they're by women I'm comparing them because it's this thing as I say that Channel 5 are really leaning into with these kind of dramas um, written by women often about women and we'll see if it kind of hits the heights of of Blood because I'm not sure I've got kind of the full picture just from the the first episode but I thought the first episode was was really well done and is definitely, if you are into those more classic psychological thrillers and something like Rebecca, whether it's the book or the film, you really liked it then there will be something in this for you for sure
0: it is a shame isn't it that, that there's a certain tendency to dismiss anything that originates with channel five as oh god it's just channel five show mm. and i think we are getting to an era where you know with blood and they're, they're clearly making an effort to up their game in terms of original content and i think you know they have still got a while before the it's like when skoda started doing actual decent cars and i think people struggled with the idea of it for a while <laughs> channel five is <5's laughs> the new skoda actually really reliable you should maybe check one out um, um, but wow. yeah, so this this was an interesting one. Like, I, uh, I I enjoy, as Boyd does, I enjoy shows that the is it supernatural is it not thing you know what is this is it what I think it is is it not what I think it is I don't really know what's going on I like these sort of well, I'm not quite sure where it's going uh, I, there, I mean there are a couple of bits of this where I was just like what is happening like why is she wandering around Donegal in her pyjamas I'm very confused <laughs> um, but yeah it's good and it was funny seeing Paul Mescal in a relatively small sort of like you know a slightly lower key role yeah. you know sort of turning up there and- but he's
2: brilliant though isn't he he's, he, is, he yeah. uses soulfulness and, Yes, he you know, is. and he's so he, it's Natural. incredible yeah, it, it, he is such a natural. It's it's, he has that
0: similar kind of quality that Connell has, yeah. where it's that yeah, he, yeah. he exactly that. There's a, a real soulfulness to him and a kind of a, a lack of surety. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he was very good as well. Uh, Emily Reed, who of course was in Belgravia as Sophie Trenchard, um, I thought she was quite mm. fun in this. He he is an irredeemable bell end in this like i just i disliked him intensely from the get go but oh yeah i just and it's just of like course. but equally like i i found myself thinking there's a bit where he's uh he's chatting to another woman at a party and she gets really like who are you talking to what was that about what's happening and it's just like I, you you do not get to be surprised that he's a bell end he's literally cheating on his wife with you come on <laughs> have some awareness
1: i was like Oh God, I was like, James is so going to struggle with the morality of this show, he's yeah. going to be like, <laughs> yeah. clawing yeah. off his own face. <laughs> what are you people doing?
0: <laughs> and then, and then she becomes the mayor of Stalker Town as well. It's just like, this is, this is deeply, deeply uncomfortable for me when she's turning up at his wife's funeral. I'm like, I, I was almost crawling behind the sofa at that point. I found that slightly excruciating, but um. Yes, I got into more into this as it went along, and I'm I'm very curious to see to see where it goes. And if indeed ghosts abound in this or if there's more going on, I want to know what is behind the locked door, etc. etcetera. Et cetera. Um mm-hmm. but anyway, the deceived lands on channel five on August the third at nine PM. Stay for the music box cover of Tainted Love that plays over the closing credits. Yeah next up this week we have harlots which arrives on the beep now this is an odd one because this actually first aired back in 2017 on hulu in the us and itv encore whatever the fuck that is here in the uk with its <laughs> second and third seasons following on hulu but never making it to these shores um which is something of a travesty. However, the show does finally make a proper UK debut this week, a year, a year after its third and final season landed in the US. Um, but Harlot stars Samantha Morton as an 18th century madam named Margaret Wells who dreams of a townhouse in Soho while pimping out her two daughters and fighting off the posher rival madam, Leslie Manville. Terry, what say you to this?
1: So, this is an interesting one, right? Because um, I knew a lot of people in the States who were raving about the show, specifically about its use of female gaze. It was written and created by women. Um, and it, having watched it last night, I can honestly say it is definitely not what I was expecting. And I kind of don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. So it is created by Alison Newman and Moira Buffini. Now, let me just say that I was like, Alison Newman, hang on. (laughs) Alison Newman as in Alison Newman who used to be in Footballer's Wives. And yes, it is one and the same Alison Newman. So she's best known as an actor, I think it's fair to say, um, who was in EastEnders and was in Footballer's Wives. Um, And she created this with Moira, who is um, the show's writer. And she basically is a hugely successful contemporary screenwriter so she um apparently just let me make sure i've got this right so she's a found member of what they call the monsterists who are this um play group of playwrights who are by new writing of large-scale work they're not about naturalistic kind of soapy dramas it's about big bold splashy plays and i can see that influence in this show it is one of the most shocking things in many respects I've seen in ages. And I don't feel like I'm necessarily prudish. I don't feel like I'm necessarily easy sho- easily shocked, but whether it's the language or the sex shown on screen, some of the, some of the lines, I had to rewind <laughs> it just to make sure I hadn't misheard what was just said on screen. And the thought that this is coming to BBC Two is kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> so as you said, this is set in the um, mid 18th century. It's in London. And it's this, essentially, um, the nuts and bolts of it is it's the rivalry between these two brothels, one run by Samantha Morton, one run by Leslie Manville. Leslie Manville's is slightly for the um, more to-do man. You know, her girls can speak French and they can play an instrument. Samantha Morton's brothel isn't so concerned with whether you can play an instrument, you know, apart from... the male member and it's the the, <laughs> the fighting between them but also you know Samantha Morton wants to move up in the world that's a bit where she's she's basically at a house on Greek Street which uh-huh. is symbolic of her moving up in Soho and but what happens at the beginning um the basic setup is the house is raided um she's fined and they can't make the final payment because it's at the same time there is this rise of the right i suppose the, mar- the moral right demanding the closure of these brothels so this is the, the dynamic that's happening. And then the setup of the first episode is they need to get the money to be able to move into this house. So she auctions off her youngest daughter's virginity played by Eloise Smarties. Her other daughter is played brilliantly by um, Jessica Brown Finlay, who we all, we all know from Downton. And it is all about the female perspective in this show. So it's definitely the female gaze. This Much of the sex is Transactional at best, um, kind of quite degrading at worst, mm. but that's kind of the life of a prostitute. And what well, it's very stark in that what it sets up is if, for women at this time, there were two choices in life marriage. Or prostitution and they were your only two choices that you know and there's one point where she says men don't respect halls they respect property because they're trying to kind of assign ownership of you to a man and it's that that's your choice in life you're either belong to a man or you are used by a man but the i mean the writing is so out there there's an interview essentially an interview that happens when one of the women wants to change brothels and she's asked, any children? And she goes, oh, non-living. And they move on to the to the next question. And this kind of lighthearted brutality that's woven into their everyday lives. You know, there's a, a woman who says at one point, oh, my husband loves the hymen. Huh. And I was like, "I'm sorry," and talking about his his liking for virgins. And she said, oh, "My husband loves the hymen." And I was like, "I can't. I actually can't believe what I'm yeah. hearing." And I I don't feel like I'm easily shocked. And it's shocked, Tim McInerney
0: as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's and it's but weirdly, even though this, you know, it's very coarse, it's very vulgar. Um, it isn't particularly sexy because it is told by women. There is still, I think, some nuance in it. So, particularly Samantha Morton. Um, I mean, she's Samantha Morton, right? She's brilliant. So, she plays this mum who is trying to move up in the world, but can only do so by auctioning off her own daughter's, you know, virginity, essentially, like she'd done to her previous daughter. But she says it's not that bad because when it happened to her, she just got sold off for a pair of shoes. Like this, this. This world is full of a bit of grey and Samantha Morton in particular, I think, is one of the things and Leslie Manville that stops this being a cartoonish, very absurd, um, kind of rough outline of a drama rather than a kind of a human drama, which I kind of think you need it to be. But I'm not sure that I liked it. I have to say I found it really depressing Mm. and you know there's maybe there's a realism of of that's what women's lives were like at the time that you were a wife or a whore and there was nothing in between and if you were a whore you had no agency and you were to be used and abused and violated at, at the whim of any man really but There's something about it being set in this way and everything being bold and bawdy around it. There was a weird, for me, collision of of that darkness and starkness at the heart of it and the way it was executed on screen. I couldn't, something about it didn't work for me because I felt like I was almost meant to laugh at times, but I didn't find it funny. I found it really dark Mm. and sad. And so the dramatic Beats, But then the dramatic beats felt like they were trivialized in some way by the treatment of it. So I I can't fully kind of articulate how I feel about it, but it made me feel really uncomfortable. I didn't feel great watching it. Um, I did feel shocked at times. Bits of it were quite upsetting for me as a woman to watch. Maybe as a human being, maybe not as a woman. Because, you know, it has a take on the dynamics of sex and gender and the socioeconomic hierarchy of society and what that does to those dynamics. But it's not a particularly sophisticated thing take on it you understand the the starkness and the brutality of it but to what end I suppose really it, it felt like the moments where it was trying to entertain where the, the content was so dark that I didn't feel entertained I just felt a bit dirty
0: i'm so pleased you said that because i felt exactly the same way where i i don't get me wrong i do think this is a good show and i thought it was very well put together and i liked it but i think exactly as you said there's a there's a there's a dissonance between the subject matter and the way it's presented so it looks like a david bowie music video the whole thing is wildly over the top hugely (laughs) stylish it's upbeat it's light-hearted there's a real sort of sort of comedy drama thing going on here. But the problem with all of that sort of style and the wittiness and all of that is it's at at odds with the subject matter, which is just really unrelentingly grim not in the tone but just when you drill down when you look Mm. at what it is you know it like it reduces people to these sort of like sort of men in particular these vile rutting animals and I think it speaks to the worst in human nature like it begins with one in four women were selling themselves for sex at the beginning and you're like fucking hell Uh, and it kind of goes on like that and just you know Samantha Morton's sympathetic character she's quite fun the relationship she had with her daughters is quite sweet and she's literally selling her daughter's virginity auction and it's such a horrifying horrific thing and yet you feel like you're looking around like no one seems to be taking this as a miss no one seems to be taking it like it's it's taken in stride as a very in a very upbeat sort of lighthearted way and i found it difficult to find levity in that scenario and in the lives of these women i just found it crushingly sad just to sort of see this depicted on screen and 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 i wonder whether i'd have found it slightly less depressing if the tone had been more somber because then you you'd Mm. you'd felt that at the very least the showrunners kind of understood that this is really quite bad and yet you didn't. It was almost the glibness of it. I think that affected me more because weirdly that's I think reflects how a lot of people do look at these things. You know, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just a thing that happens. And it's like, yeah, I, 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 I struggle with that part of it. That said, I thought Samantha Morton was great. I thought all of the, all of the roles in this world would play very well. And Leslie Manville, of course, loads of fun as the other madam. But again, I couldn't get past the fact that, you know, even though this is funny, it is well-written, it is very witty. I just, I found the subject matter just a little bit sad and I don't think I really got part of that. Boy, did you did 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 it hit you in the same way? How did you find it?
2: No. No, it didn't actually. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I first I remember watching it. So when ITV Encore was a thing, so ITV Encore co-created it with um, uh, was it Hulu, and so I remember watching it when it arrived ye- those years ago on IT because it was that one of it's kind of the flagship show I think mm. on ITV Encore, which has then subsequently been closed <laughs> as a channel, doesn't exist anymore. And I remember being thinking this is an incredibly brave thing like absolutely astonishing levels of of sexual activity for you know itv show and now bbc two nine o'clock show um and i do think i i think it's complete i think it's all about um that in the 18th century when this is set there is no life has no value or has very very little value you know people die willy-nilly like there's a there's a scene where um the police raid the brothel and um Samantha Morton's brothel and there's a people run out and flee and there's someone's crushed to death basically and you just there's a rec- and, and and the other character sees her and that's it and you move on and there is a sense that it's all about how do you survive day to day in for, particularly for women in this world, where particularly their lives are not valued, and they are they are you know basically prostitution is absolutely one of the main options, and pimping out your own daughter is one of the main options just to survive. But I think that the bawdy, darkly comical tone is exactly right for it to me. It's like yeah, I mean. They're surviving day to day by having by kind of the only way to survive, you know. I think for the for the characters, for a lot of the characters, is to deal with it with with some with humour. And that sounds quite crass. I'm not saying oh they have to have a sense of humour about their awful lives. I'm saying that just is the reality of the situation. They're not sitting. They're not kind of you know. So the I think if it had a a, a self consciously serious tone, oh the suffering, witness the suffering. I don't think that wouldn't have been interesting. This is really interesting. That that you've got the really horrible stuff, this really gritty, nasty reality of life in this time. And the and the and the sex as as so the sex scenes are not erotic in any way. They're played for like, oh my god, this is just like people fucking shagging each other in the most animalistic way, up alleyways, you know. Inver- it's 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 like everyone, all the men are suddenly unleashed into this incredibly decadent world where they can do what the fuck they like with these women, and the women have to somehow deal with that. And I found all of that fascinating. And I think I, I think that I think it works for me. It worked. I, I didn't find it. You know, I I, I I found an incredible account of this time of what it was like. That's I guess that's my, my feeling. And I thought I thought the tone that they've established for it really really worked. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't agree. I
0: think I maybe missed the... I, I think if in my head, if it were confined to the 18th century, I'd probably feel slightly different about it. It feels just a little bit like this is kind of a stark portrayal. I think what it, what it did to me is it showed a side of human nature, which I don't think is restricted to a specific place or time. Uh, and it was not a particularly pleasing part of it. And I just found it a little bit demoralizing but uh but you're right it's you know it's it's well written it's fun it's you know it's a very interesting way of performing it and it does look like a crazy kind of bride of frankenstein music video
1: but i think it's but it's weird right because somebody said to me oh well you love the favorite you'll love this it's not Hmm. it's it's i don't think you can even compare the two because there is a there is a, a a a fit of tone that i think works in the favorite that doesn't hear it. and there's a weird and the flippancy i suppose makes me Uncomfortable, and I, I don't think the only way that serious things should be presented is in a really grim, serious way. You know, I've always said, like for example, um, depictions of of working class life on screen are often unrelentingly miserable, forgetting the fact that most working class communities and families are joined together by humour and by levity, and and that's a really important part of that. Um, those communities and those families. But this, there was just something. The, the, the flippancy around some of the violations, and, and as Boyd says, it's a reality. They're trying to show a reality of that life at the time, and I don't. I also don't think it worked. If it would have just been unrelentingly miserable and sombre, um, but the way I, I certainly had it in my head that it was kind of a bawdy romp, mm. you know, all spilling bosoms and and jocular, and and it's it's so. Hot, the the reality it's depicting is so harsh that to kind of have it presented to me in the way it was, I I found it so uncomfortable. um You know, and telly, there's nothing wrong with telly making us uncomfortable and making us, you know, but it's it's not something I can personally watch without feeling just re- like I just came away from it not feeling hmm. great and not I definitely didn't enjoy it I didn't at any point think I'm really enjoying this this is like an- a nice little hour Escape, or I'm mean, informing myself from something like that. It it made me feel so uncomfortable that by the end of it, I was
0: like, "There's there's levels this of quite sadistic violence against women." There's a sex scene with Hugh Skinner that I found really hard to watch, but I really, really, really didn't like it.
2: It's totally meant to be hard to watch. Honestly, it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable, hundred percent. I guarantee you. And and of course that will mean that that for a lot of people watching it, and I, and I totally get it. It's it's so uncomfortable to watch that you don't want to carry on watching it. I yeah. I have a huge tolerance, I have to say for. I well no just for, just i i can watch the most horrible stuff and i will it's fine because i know it's not real but i genuinely is absolutely wants wants to make you feel uncomfortable that is the bold conception of the whole thing definitely
1: but I, I wonder how you how you don't become desensitized to it right because i imagine a whole season of this like the the amazing thing about it is in that first episode there's like awful thing after awful thing after mm. you know violation after violation as you say that what what is clear is they're just trying to survive they go from one situation to the next just trying trying to Basically, make it through without getting kicked out into the street, arrested, um, killed, you know, whatever. And, but that kind of unrelenting nature of it and the flippancy around it, you know, when yeah. she does say, Oh, any, any children, non living, but boom, on to yeah. the next thing. The, the, that kind of, by the end, I think I felt a bit numb to all of it. And I right. wonder how that plays out over the series where it's, it does like, calm
2: down. Yeah. I think it yeah. calms down. So I think this episode is, is an establishing, this is how extreme we're going to go. And, it is relentless and I think that's deliberate but it does calm down you know I've seen a few episodes and it's definitely not it doesn't keep up that relentlessness yeah
1: and I did just want to say on um I made it sound like Alison Newman's done nothing else apart from being footballers wives which she was amazing in but um she has had extensive theatre work which is I'm guessing where she met Moira and where they mm. developed this relationship and she has and I think you can tell that both of the women who created this worked in theatre there's definitely something oversized and and big about this in the way that um a lot of theatre is and i think you can definitely see that influences here so i don't don't want to make it sound like you know she's perfectly placed to to create something like this
0: and this show does of course contain the line you are the pineapple of great britain which will go down in history as one of the great chat up lines (laughs) harlots then which arrives on bbc2 on wednesday the 5th of august at 9 p.m with a double bill and seasons one and two are airing back to back presumably with season three to follow Finally, this week, we have Little Birds starring Juno Temple. Not to be confused with Little Birds starring Juno Temple, the 2011 (laughs) Elgin James movie. No, this this one is instead a six-part series inspired by Anae Nin's 1979 collection of erotic short stories and sees Temple as Lucy Savage, an American debutante who travels to Tangiers to marry Hugh Skinner's English lord. Skinner getting his end away yet again this week. There's a theme here. Uh, only to find when she arrives, a life of hedonism, excess and, yes, golden showers awaiting her at her destination. <laughs> Isn't that right, Boyd? <laughs>
2: Yes. What a week. Ah! What a week. For Hugh Skinner fans, (laughs) Hugh Skinner sex scene fans... Fans of few Skinner and pineapples. There's a pineapple <laughs> sequence as well in Little Birds. Who knew? And fans of extreme sexual behaviour. I mean, extreme in quotes. I don't want I'm not going to judge. Um, but there is, as you say, a, a, a sexual peeing scene in episode one. Spoiler alert. Um, brothels as well. There's a heavy, huge number of brothels in this. Is in, that a lot in common? Let's just put it that way. With harlots, but a very Actually, not a very different tone, a different tone and a different... It's set in Tangier in 1955 and it's all about Decadence. It's all about very posh, rich people, and the fact that they can do what the fuck they want, and that their 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 entitlement means that they can basically have rampant sex in whatever way they want with whoever they want. They can certainly pay for it if they want to go to the brothel and pay to be peed on, as as happens in in that first episode, as I say. Essentially, Hugh Skinner's character, who's having a an affair with a with another dude, with a local dude, a royal dude, yeah, and it's kind of in an effectively an arranged marriage with a very rich American American woman played by Juno Temple whose very rich family um, we meet at the beginning and they basically send her off to be married to the very posh Hugh Skinner's character and even though they don't really know each other and even though he's really gay um, there's The incredible cast, by the way, Nina Sassania is in it as Lily Von X, who's a filmmaker slash singer slash entertainer slash all-round creative, amazing, dynamic, fascinating human being. And Nina Sassania is always brilliant and she's great in it. Jean-Marc Barr pops up. Um, Rossi De Palma, you know, from all those Amodavar films, who looks absolutely incredible. It basically takes the Anais Nin, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Is it Anais? um, Stories. Which were famously incredibly daring erotic short stories, and it's trying to create a narrative out of them. And I have to say, not entirely successful. So the first episode is kind of establishes the characters and the world and the milieu, and um, very nicely, it's beautifully shot. And I thought the characters were all very interesting. And again, I think there's a there's a kind of tone, there's a kind of quite arch. Tone to the whole thing, particularly like there's this big dinner where the pineapple arrives and the posh family, you Temple's parents are being ridiculous, and mother's being ridiculous. It's kind of played for absurdity and ridiculousness, and I found the whole setting fascinating. I found the characters interesting, but it isn't yet in the first episode. In fact, I watched two episodes. A story, like the narrative, is pretty weak, and I think maybe that's that's partly because they are taking these short stories which have. Which are loosely connected, some not even connected at all, and trying to create a story out of it. And it's not yet. I wouldn't say it's the most gripping of stories, but my, I, I think if you bathe in the atmosphere of it, which is this, you know, this decadence and all of that, and the daringness of this, of the sex scenes again, which are which are up there with those in Harlots, and this time not supposed to be necessarily disgusting, but sometimes played for laughs. Uh, you know, it kind of varies. Then I enjoyed. it, I did enjoy it. Um, it's not so gripping that I feel it's going to be top of my list to carry on watching a week after week, but I week, re- but if you just kind of let it flow over you, so to speak, then I think it is enjoyable <laughs> and interesting and fascinating. There you go. <laughs> let it flow over you, says Boyd. Let it yes. flow over you. That's as good a summation as any. <laughs> One character certainly does. <laughs> Terry.
1: I mean is it a I thought it was a net is it not a a nin maybe some i don't know i don't know <laughs> i think we've established
0: we <laughs> don't really know <laughs>
1: <laughs> like i was wondering how this was going to be adapted because those it's a, you know, this collection of of short stories, as Boyd says, that are kind of loosely connected. But it, I was reading that Lucy is really an amalgamation of several characters. And I think it's more kind of picked and chosen, certain characters and certain storylines. And it is, as Boyd says, this, that first episode, which is what I've watched, it kind of has a look and feel of like a, as a musical, but like a fantasy. It's everything's, um, Everything's that's very heightened, it's quite overblown, it's 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 beautiful, it's quite trippy, some of it. Mm. Um, and it's it's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautifully shot. Um, you know, whoever designed it is a fucking genius. It looks incredible. But the heart of it is kind of just, you know, this girl who just wants to find love, but more so finds her place in the world and and she becomes, you know, the the thing through which we discover this world. She's the eyes, the ears, you know, the taste, all the senses are kind of that are awakened in her, are awakened in us as this episode kind of unfolds itself. And it isn't, as Boyd says, there's no incredibly compelling storyline that kept me watching, I have to say. It was beautiful. It was something to admire there's no kind of really, for me, hot, incredible story at the heart of this episode that kept me wanting to watch. I found her really intriguing. I thought, just let me get her name right. I thought um, Yumna Marwan, mm. um, who plays um, Sharifa Lamour, I thought she was this dominatrix, essentially. I thought she was incredibly compelling, very charming, she, in, like insanely magnetic on screen. There's this whole set up in a nightclub. And it's starting to kind of dip its toe into interesting things about uh, dynamics with men and women in society, how sex plays into that. So kind of, I suppose, in, in contrast to Harlots, it's not gratuitous in this um it's more about sexual awakenings it's about desire it's about women f- discovering their sexuality as as they become women themselves so look this looks incredible it's really fucking trippy in parts it's really weird i wasn't always 100 sure what was going on but as like as an as an as a kind of an exploration of a young woman discovering her 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 place in the world as a woman, discovering her sexuality, being awakened to all the delights and wonders that the world can hold, especially the world, the specific part of the world at this specific time in history, then it's, um, it's interesting. But I wasn't compelled by the story, that's, that's for sure. I, I probably weren't compelled. I won't be continuing yeah. to watch. I mean,
0: as Boyd alluded to, there isn't really much of a story to compel by, is there? It feels very much like it's about no. a sense of place, like, and it's and it's a time and it's her situation. But there's not. I mean, perhaps there's a huge layered whodunit that kicks in in episode three. I have no idea. But certainly <laughs> in episode one, no. there's not a lot going on. And, and the urination scene, I think, was the narrative high point. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just I, I was I, I watched this. I was I was like I was like, what's happening? Because it's, it's shot in a very specific, almost soft focus kind of way. It's it uses that weird sort of path pastel palette and tones, it's a very, very, that sort of striking look to it. But I wasn't sure what was happening. <laughs> I was just like, Why, <laughs> what is happening? You know, okay, I get it. And there's a, it's, there's, there's a scene around dinner where they're chatting around dinner and she's presented with this gun in a case. And I'm like... The tone, I was like, is this a comedy? I'm very confused as to how I'm supposed to be responding to this emotionally. It's a really, really strange show. And she got there and I thought, you know, the idea of this sort of young woman uh, arriving, excited to get married and being met with an indifferent man is certainly not a new one. Uh, but it's Tangier's, isn't it? No. It's the place and they go out on the night and in one of the most unusual, I would say, wedding night escapades I've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's the sequence with, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of a, a singing sequence in the bar, which is a little bit uncomfortable. And all the way through, I was thinking, I'm waiting for the plot to engage. I'm unsure, like, if someone asked me, what is the synopsis of the show? I would just look at them blankly, because I wasn't sure when the story yeah. would kick in. And it, it, then the, show, the first episode ended, I was like, huh, it, at no point did it kick in. Uh, Boyd, you've seen more than one episode. I'm assuming it doesn't immediately <laughs> kick yeah. in in episode two,
2: but... No, I, I th- I'm, I'm kind of interested. I think, I guess the main through line is, how does Juno Temple's character deal with the fact that her new husband isn't interested in her sexually like which is not an original no. idea by any means but i think that's quite and how that plays out is is not maybe how you'd expect and how what that means as terry was talking about it is about her awakening in all kinds of ways and it's kind of it's slightly a celebration of 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 sexual freedom you know yeah. it's, that's kind of, and and I, and actually in a way if you're interested enough in that, then I think maybe the the, the, the writers of are like, well, we don't we don't need to impose the who done it as you, you know, which I kind of admire that. But I think the almost the only narrative element of it that you that I I ascertained that I was gonna kind of follow through was that this this relate how did these two people negotiate mm. this relationship? Yeah, but it's not it's not. Enough. I don't but think it is. You're enough right. There is a confidence to what they're doing. They've decided this is the tap yeah. they're taking, and they're
0: not apologising for it. And they're just going for it. I do respect yeah. that. And they say there's a hanging anecdote on the boat on the way over that I always thought was particularly bold. Um, but yeah, it's there's yeah. not enough here. I think to hook me. I need more of a. I need more of a story. I need spaceships to come in or something. I don't know. But. Uh- <laughs>
1: but that's, you know and that's and nice let's just say Anaïs, and nice her writing is all concerned with eroticism as a kind of a, a tool to explore women's interior mm-hmm. life and, and yeah. think, you know her her stories weren't about the 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 complex or even s- simple <laughs> kind of storyline that you can get your teeth into and it was it was more of an exploration around those things. So it kind of doesn't surprise me that that's been replicated yeah. in in the show because they'd have to have completely done something entirely different to yeah. to put that in there. But I just don't know how successfully I think in short stories and in the kind of writing she did I, it completely works for that as a medium. How it works for telly as a medium I think is entirely different, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can I just say that Juno Temple, right? I watched this. She's absolutely fucking brilliant. She's playing this, you know, rich, ultra um, entitled young American that I then happen to have to watch straight afterwards, a new Apple TV show called Ted Lassoe, in which she plays an Essex footballer's girlfriend. And the oh my uh, God. The, the contrast is astonishing. <laughs> she is brilliant. I have to say. So kudos to her. Yeah, she's very good. Hmm. Uh, Well,
0: that's Little Birds, and that arrives on Sky Atlantic on Tuesday, August the 4th at 9pm.
2: Boyd, what else have we got out this week? oh um, there is a little bit there's Rami which is a really really brilliant show in fact it got quite a few Emmy nominations Um, a show created by Rami Youssef um, starring him as an American Muslim living in New Jersey and it's about the American Muslim experience and I've watched some of the first season and season 2 arrives on Stars Play um, Thursday and that is a really really good show season 2 of The Rain um, on Netflix arrives on Thursday as well Um, this is the Danish show um, about the kind of about virus sweeping the world um, huh. in the rain and um, I remember I remember watching episode one and thinking oh, this is pretty brilliantly made and interesting but I didn't really watch much more of that but it does have its fans. There's a new comedy on BBC2 called Semi Detached starting on Thursday on BBC2 at 10 o'clock which is kind of plays out in real time and it's quite a bold thing. It stars Lee Mack and Lee Mack I have to say I think Lee Mack is hilariously funny so I think it's worth giving it a go even though um, some people might not think Lee Mack is that funny but I think it is yeah, it's not one for necessarily for James, but a lot of people will enjoy it. Bull, um, it's on Fox. Starts today, Monday at nine o'clock. Bull has its fans. In fact, someone suggested we ban Sheep Bull, but I pointed out, well, it's still going. And if, indeed, the new series starts on Fox today. But people do quite like that show. Some of them. I've never. I have to admit, I've never seen it.
0: Also, which dropped on Netflix on Friday, "Get Even," uh, which I believe aired on the BBC. When was it? When did it, Bear Boyd? Was it last year? Earlier this, uh, year? February February. this year, February this year. Yes, this year, yes, this year. Which follows four teenage girls at a private elite school who form a secret society to expose bullies. Sounds like a very worthwhile endeavor. But lots of people seem to be watching that because it's dropped worldwide.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that a watch. That yeah, looks, looks like, um, that looks like my cup of tea. Okay. Four minutes for a Okay, banshee. yes, we
0: have to do this really quick. Boyd has a hard out, so we're going to have to pick up the pace for the tail end of the show. Pick of the week, very quickly. One show, name it. Go, go, go. Oh, um, Right,
1: done. Pick of the week,
2: Deceived. Yeah, deceit. Banshee, Agreed. Boyd, go. Deceived. <laughs> right, this Banshee, weirdly um, inspired by the idea of alternate timelines and alternate realities and alternate universes, this is a very recent banshee from me, counterpart. Yes. On Star yes. Play on Amazon Prime. Yes. Have you ever mentioned no, this? No, I, I, I have not mentioned have. This has
0: been recommended to me so many times by people, right. but I've never actually right. got around to well, watching I it. Betcha- it's on my list.
2: Yeah, I started watching it. It's fucking brilliant. J.K. Simmons, the brilliant J.K. Simmons um, from Whiplash and Oz, yeah. etc., plays a dude who works. He's like a quiet office guy in, in Berlin, working for the United Nations, and you see him establishing his daily life. There's a big kind of action sequence opening, but then you meet him and his character, and it turns out, basically, kind of long story short, he ha- he meets his doppelganger, his literal double, who's a completely different person, because there's a whole alternate earth beneath the surface of this place that was created years ago go deliberately and there's a whole alternate version of the Earth with all the same people on it but different and it's not only got J.K. Sims, it's got fucking Olivia Williams in it as well and Harry Lloyd and it's really brilliantly made it's quite very interestingly written and it's great, there are only two seasons of it, it was cancelled already, it went out in 2017, I think, and then 2019, but it's really, really good. It's on Stars Play on Amazon Prime.
0: I'm definitely going to watch it. I think the reason I put it off is because it got cancelled. I kind of felt, oh, but apparently it does have at least a kind of a, a proper ending. So, um, yeah, right. def- definitely want to right. watch. That. I mean, J.K. Simmons for God's sake. But yes, that's supposed to be that's supposed to be yeah. awesome. Playing two people, playing two, but pe- J.K. Simmons squared. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, yeah, I, I'm very, very rushing a Banshee. This isn't even. This is one of those crazy Banshee things where I am not recommending this, but it's one of these things. This is been on my mind for a while this show where i've been thinking about it and i couldn't work out whether or not i had imagined the show or dreamed it or whether it was real because i had this slightly hazy memory of it but i finally looked it up and it is real this was the pretender which was a random procedural from the late 90s and it starred michael t weiss in it as jared and he was basically this character who he'd been kidnapped as a child and raised in a place called the center this institute and he was a genius imposter who could quickly master complex skills so he could impersonate any member of any profession. So, as you can imagine, it being a procedural, each week he would be a surgeon, a banker, a doctor, all the while being pursued by this centre. But apparently, he was inspired by Ferdinand Waldo Damara, who's the guy that uh, the Tony Curtis film The Great Imposter is based on. And again, it's a guy who could just essentially adopt, who was so quick to learn, such a quick study, he could adopt these things and pass himself off in different roles. But uh, this ran for, God, I want to say, is four seasons, and it ended on a cliffhanger with a bomb, and it was nonsense. And uh, I think did a couple of TV movies, and then some novels and continue afterwards. It wasn't very good, but one of the reasons that that I believe I watched this is the guy who does the voice for it, Michael T. Weiss, was the voice of the nameless one in Planescape Torment. And that is something that will be understood by a very small demographic of our listenership, but nevertheless it makes it notable. Uh, that is The Pretender. There were four seasons of it. Probably don't watch it. There you go.
2: <laughs> Inspirational.
0: Inspirational. Inspirational. Terry... <laughs>
1: Um, I would like to banshee um, Some Girls, which is Beep Seats, all on iPlayer. This was a three-series British comedy that ran 2012 to 2014. It is about four 16-year-old girls who all go to the same school. They all live in the same house housing estate in South London. They all play for the same slightly rubbish football team. It is written by Bernadette Davies, who wrote um, Game On, and it stars... Um, uh, these four brilliant young actors who've who've all done other great stuff. So you've got Adileo, Adideo. Natasha Jonas, who was obviously in Attack the Block, Mandeep Dillon, Alice Felgate, and then the PE teacher and um, Viva's stepmother is played by none other than Dolly Wells. This was called The Female in between us at the time because there's four teenage girls and people are really lazy. But,
3: um, <laughs>
1: it's, it's, I found it really funny. It's about their friendship. It's about school. It's about boys. It's about everything your life is actually about. At 16, the four girls have the most incredible, 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 warm, beautiful chemistry. Dolly Wells is Dolly Wells because she's a genius. And this is on your iPlayer. I've heard very
0: good things about that. It's another one that's on my watch list. Okay. And that is it for this special sex-themed episode of the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> if you've enjoyed yourself, no, not like that, then please do head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating, much like Endless Mike did when he said, this is a great podcast. James Dyer is a very interesting villain, relying on being a bellend to annoy the hero, Boyd. Terry is a bit of a wild card here, a true renegade. I resent this characterization. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> At worst, an anti-hero.
1: <laughs> oh, you wish you were an anti-hero. Oh, my God. I said
2: how I've become the villain. That is the really- <laughs> It's brilliant that you've been hoist on your own anti-Bellen petard. And this people can't listen to the podcast because you're such a Bellin. That is brilliant.
1: Oh, my God. Would you fail your own... <laughs> would I, I fail what Belen Would you fail, says, your, you, I think you I fail your, your own test? this podcast yeah, no. fails the
0: Bellin test without a shadow of a doubt. But, you know... Well, because of who? All of us. All of us, Terry. Your Miss Piggy-like <laughs> yeah, you. ways yeah. as discussed last week. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I rampant. am not
1: Miss Piggy. <laughs> hey, you're
0: the one who said you were. <laughs> I
1: know. I
2: know. Oh, oh.
0: God. Anyway, all three of us bellends are on social media at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Next week, we will, of course, be back in your ears when, in a shocking third-act twist, Boyd will be unmasked and revealed to have been the true villain all along. (laughs) Pilot out.